Friends, Romans, and sports fans, lend me your ears. We have now moved into the smaller but nevertheless important moves of NFL free agency. After getting Teddy Bridgewater, Bridgewater in free agency, the Carolina Panthers will release Cam Newton, their longtime QB who led them to a Super Bowl. But they also signed wide receiver Robbie Anderson to a two-year $20 million contract, one of the few remaining top free agents. Another fairly notable move today, the Seahawks signed Philip Dorsett, best remembered for being a first-round draft bust for the Colts a few years back. Last year, he was with the New England Patriots. The speedy receiver will compete for the number three wide receiver position along with David Moore and any wide receiver draft selection the Seahawks might choose. San Francisco adds former Chargers wide receiver Travis Benjamin on a one-year deal. And the Denver Broncos sign punter Sam Martin to a fairly notable three-year, $7.05 million contract, taking him away from the Detroit Lions. Oh, yeah! This is the Catch My Eye podcast. Begins on Tuesday, Thursday, and Saturday. You will always have mercy on your ears. All you who listen, profess yourselves enemies to all other joys which the most precious square of sense possesses, and find that this alone felicitates your dear highness's love. Amen. Okay, we will skip uh, the NFL, uh, not CBA, Collective Bargaining Agreement, and an analysis of that. We do still have some free agency stuff to wrap wrap up. Specifically, we're going to talk about Tom Brady and his move to the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. But uh, before we do that, we need to do something else first. And now I pray thee, take off thy dunce cap, put on thy gown of wisdom, because it is time for the quiz. Okay, what was our last quiz question? It was about the Walter Payton Man of the Year Award, and who was that inaugural first winner? And the answer to that question would be, I gave you a bunch of past winners. Uh, they all won the people that I gave you. My dad uh, answered Roger Staubach. Fortunately, he won it the year after Walter Payton did. That is, he won it in 1978. Uh, Ken Anderson won it in 1975. George Bland in 1974. And did I mention... Did I mention uh, Lynn Dawson? I think I did. Well, he won in 1973. The inaugural winner was in 1970. He was Johnny Unitas of the Baltimore Colts. He of the interesting middle name Constantine. John Constantine Unitas 
obviously. <laughs> One of the great quarterbacks, Hall of Fame, 10-time Pro Bowl, 5-time All-Pro. Won a Super Bowl, 3-time NFL champion. Even though it was not, he was not drafted by the Baltimore Colts. He was actually drafted in the ninth round by the Pittsburgh Steelers in 1955. Although, now that is three rounds later than Mr. Tom Brady. But Tom Brady was drafted 199th overall. Johnny Unitas was drafted 102nd overall, even though he was drafted three rounds later. Uh, quite a bit less teams back then, right? Probably not as many compensation picks either. <laughs> I don't even know if they had it. His um, And almost his whole career was in Baltimore. Uh, 1956 came to Baltimore. He did not play at all for the um, for the Pittsburgh Steelers. And then his last year in 1973 was with the San Diego Chargers. Rather interesting. So 17 years as the Baltimore Colt. One year his last as a San Diego Charger. He only played uh, five games. Started four of them. And his last year in Baltimore, he only started eight games. In 1970, he was uh, 10, looks like he was 10-2-1. and Completion percentage of 51.7. Uh, so I don't know if that what that was like. If that was good or bad. Back then, obviously, right now it would be horrible. But obviously, of course, it's a completely different game. Consider the fact that he only threw for that year to, for 2,213 yards. Uh, most of the... Yeah, the vast majority of the time, he did not throw for 3,000 yards. Let's see, only threw for th over 3,000 yards three times in his career. Right now, 3,000 yards just isn't really that much for an NFL quarterback at the present time. He had a it through. Ooh. Maybe he didn't have such a great year that year. <laughs> he threw 14 touchdowns and 8. Interceptions. So wow, 18 interceptions to 14 touchdowns. Uh, maybe not so good. A six and a 65 rating, which is obviously terrible. Maybe at this point he kind of faded. <laughs> oh, actually, prob probably was just ratings were just quite a bit lower. If you look at his, yeah, if you're not. Tom Brady was obviously had a bad year, or not a bad year, but his rating was 88 last year, and he was like, "Ooh, that's that's not particularly good, right?" Well, 88 would have been like one of Johnny Unitas' highest ratings. He had an 88 uh, QB rating in 1957, his second year. What was his highest rating? 92. Excuse me, 97.4. A lot of those, they were in the 80s, or 70s, or 60s, when you hit a 30.1 QB rating. 
Uh, although he only had five games, uh, no starts that year in 1968. So definitely a, and you got to remember this is you know this guy's like one of the best quarterbacks of his time. Quite a bit different game than it is today, right? Okay, so th he was your first Walter Payton Man of the Year award. Winner in 1970. Of course, that that time was just called the NFL Man of the Year Award because that was seven years before Walter Payton himself won the NFL Man of the Year Award. And what did they say? When did they say he died? 1999. So yeah, obviously a very premature death for Walter Payton, and obviously he was not going to begin it. Also, and he was not going to be getting named for this award after <laughs> he had been, or be, yeah, or excuse me, before he himself had won it. Uh, yes, he died at age 45, as I said, in November 1st, 1999. In fact, he hadn't been even drafted, as I said. He... Peyton was drafted in 1975. So, Johnny Unitas, the first Man of the Year award winner. Now, unfortunately, we all know the lack of baseball. When were the Dodgers? Were the Dodgers, it would have been March 26th, right? A couple days from now, the Dodgers would have been opening day for the Los Angeles Dodgers. And so to satisfy our hunger for Major League Baseball that will not be starting up for some time, I have a feeling we're gonna probably we're gonna it's pretty much gonna have to be a shortened season, right? No 162 game season yet, but we will be doing a Dodger question today, and we're gonna go back to 1962. Now, back in 1962, mm, get you a setup of the times in December, October 24th of 1961, Lakers played their very first regular season game in Los Angeles. By the way, they did beat the Knicks 111 to 101 in that very first game in Los Angeles. It was the game was at the Sports Arena. That was towards the end of the 1961 year. 1962 saw Jackie Robinson elected to the Hall of Fame on the as first year in the ballot, on the ballot. Uh, and then John Glenn that year he uh, became the first American to orbit the Earth. That was in February. Later in the year uh, in October, we would have the Cuban Missile Crisis. This was also the... This was... 1962 was also the first year of Dodger Stadium. They had a six-hour dedication ceremony on April 9th. I don't know if I really wanted to attend that, but... I don't know. Six hours... Whoa. 
<laughs> and 2,500 people attended. $5 tickets. So apparently not a whole lot of other people wanted to uh, go to the dedication ceremony either for Dodger Stadium. There was a parade of uniformed players, though, through downtown Los Angeles. And a lot more people showed up for their first game at Dodger Stadium. They had a crowd of 52,564. Of course, it was not that was not capacity. Capacity was, what, 56,000? Something happened. Something weird happened with the tickets. They thought there would be a traffic jam, so... That's why it wasn't full. But nevertheless, that first year, the Dodgers drew 2,755,184, which was first in the NL. They kind of occupied that position for many, many years at this time. During this time, kind of like what they're doing right now, where they just have super robust attendance. Now they're pushing the 4 million mark. But yeah, the Dodgers have always been one of the robust leaders in attendance here in Los Angeles. And 1962 was not an exception. Now, the season, though, did not end in a great way for the L.A. Dodgers because they had a four-game lead with seven games left on the schedule and did not make it to the World Series. They got beaten out by the San Francisco Giants. They lost six of those last seven. That dropped them into a tie. Their last, their last game was a 1-0 loss to the Cardinals at Dodger Stadium on an eighth-inning homer by the card Gene Oliver off of Johnny Padres. So that made him go into a best-of-three playoff series. And it was not as famous as the 1951 best uh, three playoff series. But it was just as heartbreaking for the Dodgers because they lost 8 to nothing. A candlestick. That was, their, that was the first of the three-game series. They then lost. They then won 8-7. to seven. Uh, At Dodger Stadium, only 25,321 showed up, though. They were actually were down five to five to zero, uh, but they in the because the Giants had scored four runs in the top of the sixth. But then the Dodgers in the bottom of the sixth went ahead seven to six, or excuse me seven to five, and held on for wait eight to seven win uh, because they. Pushed across the tying or the winning run uh, in the ninth. Uh, three walks and a sacrifice fly. The game lasted four hours and 18 minutes. Now, here in today's age, you go, ah, that's not that big of a deal, right? Well, back then, that was really, really long. And in the, the third game, though, was the heartbreaker. <laughs> The Dodgers were they they gave up three they gave up two unearned runs and the Dodger the Dodgers did to the Giants in the third on it on by three because of three errors but they did go up four to two entering 
the ninth inning. And in the ninth, Dodger pitcher Ed Roebuck loaded the bases on a single and two walks. An infield hit by Willie Mays. He had a rock rocket off the pitcher's hand. That was one run. Another red came in on a sacrifice fly. The score was tied to 4-4. A wild pitch. Made it runners on second and third. And then, ooh, intentional walk to load the bases. And then an unintentional walk to give the Giants a 5-4 advantage. Then another insurance run on an error. Gave him a 6-4 lead. Dodgers went down quietly. Giants go on to the World Series. Ooh. That must have been heartbreaking, though. The Giants did lose to the World Series. Did lose in the World Series in seven games to the Yankees. Kind of like 1951, right? <laughs> uh, where they w went on. Now, it wasn't seven games, the 1951 World Series. They kind of got creamed that series, but... Ooh, that was another heartbreaking loss to the San Francisco Giants. Of course, next year, the Dodgers did come back and win the 63 World Series. But, ooh. By the way, the... Of course, we all know the uh, Giants stole, stole signs in the, for the 1951 season that helped to fuel their comeback. But... The only there were two players who played in both the 1951 and the 62 playoffs. That was Duke Snyder and Willie Mays. Duke Snyder was obviously for the Dodgers and Willie Mays for the Giants. And that was Duke Snyder's last season with the Dodgers. Before the next season started, they sold him to the Mets. And where he spent one season did Duke and then one with the Giants before retiring. And Willie Mays also played in both the 51 and the 62 playoffs. Leo DeRocher, ha, the famous manager of both the Dodgers and the Giants. He was managing the Giants in 1951. He was a coach for the Dodgers in 1962. And the manager of the Giants in 1962 was Alvin Dark, who was a player for the Giants in 1951. So those are your connections right there. So, there you go. 60, 62 season, obviously, in both the U.S. in general and in the sixth and in uh, for Dodger baseball. Obviously, a very exciting time with the opening of Dodger baseball. Or excuse me, Dodger Stadium. Of course, that's not really going to happen this year, but. One thing I will question you about will be with the having to do with both the Angels and the Dodgers. Now, just remember, the Angels did play in Dodger Stadium. Uh, but 1962 marked the first year that the Dodgers played the Angels. Now, it was not a regular season game. But it was the first time that the Dodgers played the Angels. It was in Palm Springs. It was before I saw a crowd of 5,181. They lost. 6-5 to five, the Dodgers did. But the notable thing about it, and it, besides, of course, the fact that it was the first time the Dodgers played the Angels, 
is that we had a former president was in attendance. Attendance. Now, uh, we'll give you the options right now. Who is this former president? We have. Well, yeah, sure. Why not? Well, now, now we shouldn't give you the form. We shouldn't give. We we shouldn't have to give you uh, a multiple choice, right? I mean, <laughs> it should come. You should. You should not. Have, I mean, I guess probably. What is it? What it would come down to? One of two people, right? So. Take your choice. Take your choice. Email the answer to me at uh, catchmyeyepodcast at gmail.com. C-A-T-C-H-M-Y-E-Y-E-P-O-D-C-A-S-T at gmail.com. Who is that president? U.S. president, of course. That was their first Dodgers-Angels game ever. It happened in Palm Springs, California. They would not play in Los Angeles until 1963, by the way. All right. Now. We've already come fairly far in, so, to, the, to, the, to this episode. And before we discuss, or, excuse me, let's... The ESPN had a very... Interesting article about Tom Brady's breakup with the with the San Francisco or with the excuse me New England Patriots, and it was mm, seemed to be a lot of words, not not a whole lot of substance. Basically, it came down to uh, Tom Brady kind of got Tom Brady would have liked to be with the Patriots. But it was kind. Of, uh, Bill Belichick was kind of tough on him. But the main, uh, he was not. The main thing was that Tom Brady wanted the contract, a long-term contract. Belichick was not going to give it to him, and so that's why they left. But he had all this stuff about it. Despite their success, he was kind of unhappy in New England. And it was it was interesting. It, it was they talked about how the it's the Bill Belichick was ruthless was is ruthless and the Patriots are ruthless in player evaluation. Uh it would surprise people that you know, how how hard they are, you know, in grading players. And Tom Brady was not necessarily having fun there. He uh he and he just basically wanted to have fun. The Patriots were just dedicated to winning and and she just got to Tom Brady, but the, of course, and of course, the main thing was the fact that he could not get. Patriots wanted to do year by year contract. Brady wanted multiple years, 
or is it just at the start? You can read it if you want. But I don't. It's all true. Prob. I mean, it's by Seth Wickersham of ESPN. NFL coaches and evaluators. It's not just the New England Patriots. They're always ruthless in evaluation. They are very tough on players. Uh, I was, I've read this in. Uh, I was some time ago. I was reading the book Sunday Morning Quarterback by. Phil Sims, and he was reflecting on the game, one of them being coaching, and said one of the interesting things is some players get culture shock when they go into coaching. They discovered how, how ruthless they are and how coaches are just really tough in evaluating. And he would they would be listening to these coaches, and he was like, whoa, were you guys, were you guys this hard on us when I was playing? Um, and one of one of the guys went, oh, no, we're, we, never, we never thought you were that hard. And then Phil Sims commenting was like, "Yeah, right." It wasn't like you know, it wasn't like this guy was bad though. Uh, <laughs> now maybe it w- now maybe it is true with Tom Brady that you know, with a player that stature, maybe you know, maybe you're not gonna be taking you know, meetings. They're not gonna be so hard on them. Maybe that um I don't know. To me, that's most likely going to be going on around the league, at least according to Phil Sims. And of course, it's not the most recent book, so maybe the culture's changed. Uh, it's, it's it's it would be it would have been sometime in the first decade of the 2000s. So maybe the culture's changed in the NFL somehow. Um, I don't know though. I don't know about that. But the question, though, is what will happen? Was it mainly t- right now? The Patriots—they have th- looks like they're not going to be going for Cam Newton. Not surprisingly, he has. They would be paying a lot. They're going to be going with. They have three quarterbacks on their roster right now: Jared Stidham, and they also got Cody Kessler. <clears throat> the former USC quarterback, who was very good at USC, not really done much at all in the NFL. And then they bring back the beloved Brian Hoyer. <laughs> yeah, Brian Hoyer. Uh, he he's one of these a backup quarterback, and for some interesting reason, he just keeps the New England Patriots really like him. He was. Uh, First with New England, um, he got drafted by them, and then so. Oh no! Wait, did he not get drafted by them? Well, whether he got drafted by them or not, uh, the his first year was with New England Patriots in two thousand nine. Then he goes to Arizona in 2012. Then Cleveland, Houston, Chicago. Goes back to New England. 2017. Then goes to uh, San Fran. Back to New England in 2018. 
And now he's finally back with New England after after uh, now he's 34, traveled around the league. But he just keeps coming back to New England. Not that he's ever really played. But for some interesting reason, New England Patriots just really like him. I guess as a veteran presence in the locker room. Maybe mentor, because obviously he's not that good. Uh, <laughs> I'm sure NFL fans will remember the time where he started that game with Houston in the playoffs, and he was absolutely horrible. He was extremely mediocre in the regular season. <laughs> Ooh, that one NFL, that one start for the Houston Texans in the playoffs. Ouch. But now at age 34, as I said, he's back with the New England Patriots. So it looks to me like Jared Stidham is going to be the quarterback next year for the New England Patriots. And he's can the Patriots can the basically can the Patriots do it? Tom Brady again. Brady was drafted in the sixth round. Uh, Stidham was drafted in the fourth. Nobody really knows a whole lot about Jared Stidham, right? <laughs> Obviously, as Brian Horry's not gonna be really starting most most likely, unless. Cody Kessler and Jared Stidham are horrible. He's, he's obviously just a career backup in there to be a mentor. And obviously, Jared Stidham also has a big leg up on Cody Kessler. Not only because he's been there for a whole year and Cody Kessler's just coming in, but also with the coronavirus, that could mean less uh, time to work out, right? And to get to know the offense. So... Now I saw this article. Uh, the Patriots should draft Trevor. Sorry, the Patriots should. Uh, what's it called? Tank. There you go. The Patriots should tank for Trevor Lawrence. Trevor Lawrence next year. Like, mm, I don't think that's really the Patriot way. I mean, they're not going to. They're not going to give. Tom Brady a two-year contract, right? They're only going to go year by year. Now, personally, I found that a little strange. Like, mm. But, again, Bill Belichick always gets rid of a player a year early rather than a year late. Year late, and apparently it included Tom Brady. But, he's not... He want, he, he's, like, if you're going to get rid of Tom Brady because you're not going to give him <clears throat> you're going to give him a two you're not going you don't want to give him a two year contract you're only going to go year by year because he got a two year contract with Tampa Bay I thought he would want a th at least a three year contract but apparently not he gets a two year contract 50 million <laughs> that doesn't seem like the type of move to really be Hey, I'm gonna tank. A year doesn't really matter. If you wanted, if you wanted to, um, I get like he seems to be like I do not want Tom Brady when he's bad. But why don't you just give Tom Brady 
the next year, assume that he's gonna be if you if you want to tank for somebody. Now maybe you wanted maybe you want Trevor Lawrence, and that's why he wants to tank this year and not the next. But if you're the type to tank, then give Tom Brady the contract. Maybe he'll be okay this year, lousy the next year, and then we can tank that year and get somebody good the the next year after that. So I don't. I think the Bill Belichick is the type of person he's not. He's going to be looking for. He's not particularly concerned with getting these high draft picks, these high profile players. He's going to take what he has, and he's he's he has a very rigid. Uh, he has a he has a system. He's going to make him or take the players he has, and he's going kind of like Tom Brady, not a very highly respected. Not really go after the highly respected quarterback. Doesn't really need a whole lot of these top guys, these players with a lot of hype. He's not going to be, and he's not going to, he's not going to hang on to these players either. Speaking of which, they cut uh, Stephen Goskowski, their long-time kicker. Basically, it's been Adam Vinatieri and then Stephen Goskowski. Now, Stephen Goskowski was not very good last year, but Bill Belichick not really concerned with getting a high draft pick, getting the star players, whether that's coming out of the draft or in free agency or even retaining his own star players. He thinks that it's... I can take I can take the these slightly less they're not they don't have this great reputation that means they're going to be cheaper and I can the system I can make them and I can make a great team I do not need the high end players we'll see what happens will Jared Stidham work out cuz I th they're not going to go after James Winston or Cam Newton, or any of the other people that maybe we thought they were going to do. It's going to be Jared Stidham, Cody Kessler, and Brian Hoyer. At least for the foreseeable future. We'll see what happens. Was it Tom Brady? Or was it Bill Belichick? Personally, uh, next year, I'll be betting on Bill Belichick. Hopefully I'm wrong, though. Hopefully I'm wrong. Because, mm, I want the Buffalo Bills to finally capture that first AFC East title in a long, long time. We will see. Okay, before we get out of here, I do want to thank you for taking a listen to the podcast. If you want to comment, of course, just email catchmypodcast at gmail.com. Also, of course, I do want to thank as well Blessed Trinity and the Holy Family. Also, my guardian angel, and my patron saints, Francis Savior and James the, the Greater. Also my family, my grandmother, and my uncle. Finally, Brian Seaman. Fortunately, he's kind of sidelined at this point in our lives. Also Adam Osland and Noah Eagle. All right. 
Thursday. Thursday's podcast. More NFL talk, maybe? Well, very likely, very likely. All right, see you on Thursday. Bonsuelo. The Catch My Eye podcast is dead, my lord. That's but a mistake. You lords and noble friends know our intent. What comfort for this intervening time shall be applied. Nevertheless, your present business is general woe. Friends of my soul, you the Gord State sustain until we meet again a few days from hence. Email catchmyeyepodcast at gmail.com. I have a journey, lords, shortly to go. My master calls me. I must not say no.